has moved into this house and wants to speak to somebody's heart and wants to touch somebody's life right now. Before we get into the Word, let's lift up our hands and worship Him one more time. Lord Jesus, God, we thank You for speaking to us, Lord, through Your through song, Lord Jesus. God, we give You the praise. We give You the glory. We give You the honor, O oh Jesus, for being such a great Great and mighty God, we thank You, Lord. Let's give Him one more hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's do that unto God right now. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Sister Bethany and musicians and singers. You tapped into the to the emotion that I felt while preparing for this uh this word tonight, I believe that God does have a word for us in one way or the other, and I believe that if we are open to receive it, that He'll do something for us. So let's turn in your Bible to Second Samuel chapter 15, and we'll start at verse 2. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 2, we'll read through verse 6, and then... Uh, We'll skip down to verse number 13. Verse number 2 starts, And Absalom, which was the son of David, rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed, deputed of the king to hear thee. And Absalom said, Moreover, O oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him, and on this matter did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. We'll skip down to verse number 13. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth, and all his household after him, and he left ten women which were concubines to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him, and tarried in a place that was far off. You can be seated. Uh, first of all, I want to give honor and thanksgiving to Brother Stevenson, my pastor, for allowing me to share this word with you. It's always an honor and a privilege any time I can stand up here because I love this church and I love the people of this church. And to the people of this church tonight, I want to bring a message of hope, a message of victory with a simple title of, It's Time to Quit. With down at the bottom in parentheses, it's time to give up. 
But I do need y'all's help. Don't, I mean, like, don't quit right now. Wait till after the service and then quit. Maybe around altar call. So y'all got to help me is what I'm saying. All right, good. All right. So I heard at least three people say yes, sir. So, uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen are behind me. All right. So what we have here, we have a story about Absalom. And, uh, and basically what it is, he's come up with a plan. See, the thing about Absalom, he's, uh, he's the popular guy on campus. He is used to everybody looking at him with, in, with favor. He's, he's used to uh, maybe to be in the center of attention. He's definitely used to the ladies talking to him. And there's Bible for that. Somewhere. No, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 25. It said, But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom, not for his intellect, not for his ability to adjust timing on a chariot. That's a mechanic deal. He was not praised for his ability to to make the best bread or cook the best meals or to catch the most fish. Oh no! Absalom was praised for his beauty. That's what it says right there in the Bible. So much praise for his beauty. And not only for his beauty, but it goes a step further. It didn't say he had, you know, chiseled abs or muscular arms or nice face or whatever else. Oh no, it said, from the sole of his foot, word for word, from the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, top to bottom, there was no blemish in Absalom. This dude was perfect. As, well... As, as Pearl said about Spongebob when he's taking her, taking her to the prom, he is tall, dark, and handsome. Long flowing hair. Not a blemish upon this man. I've got numerous scars on my hand. Believe, and I, I'm not just up here you know, trying to be funny, but legitimately, this scar right here came from working on a toilet. I showed Jenny right before we come to church. I've got bruises on my, one on my knee. I got a bruise on my shoulder. I don't even know how you do that. I don't shoot guns. I've got bruises and scars all over me. But Absalom had not a scar, not a scratch, not a bruise, not a pimple out of place, no freckles. He was, I mean, according to the Word of God, he was perfect. Absolutely perfect in looks. Now, he had something going wrong up here. Because he devised this plan that we read about. And, 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 in, and in case you just went through the motions of reading the, the scriptures, I read them to you. We're going to go back and, and work through what I, what I read. And this will be the, the introduction to the message here. So you can imagine in Jerusalem, David's the king. And a king has a very important, very important job. Besides ruling the people and, and setting taxes and collecting those taxes and, and all his other kingly duties... He, he, it was up to him to, uh, just like, say, for instance, oh, I, I'll just keep coming over here. 
Brother Andrew and Brother Dane got in a fight over a donkey or something. You know, that's my donkey. No, it's mine. Well, you know what they'd do? They'd go to, the, to Jerusalem through the gate, maybe bring the donkey, or a nice drawing of it anyway, and they would go before the king and plead their case, and the king would make a judgment on who went home with the donkey. And, and you know, that's, that's just part of the king's duty. He was, he was a judge. So Absalom came up with his plan. He wanted to be king, right? So the way he was going to become king was he, got, well, he was going to undermine King David. So he went to the gate where Brother Andrew and Brother Dane was going to bring their donkey through. And just imagine this is the gate. Y'all bring y'all's donkey over here. Come on. Pretend like it. In Absalom, right out of the word of God. Hey, where are y'all from? We're from one of the tribes of Israel. Okay. So y'all are going to let the king judge y'all's case? Yeah. Well, just between me and you, y'all can do that. But there ain't even nobody in there that's going to listen to y'all. And if they do, they're not going to judge right. They don't know what they're talking about. But I tell you what, if I was the king, I would judge y'all right. I would do good to y'all. Everybody in Israel, I'd do good to all of them. And then it said he kissed them, but we ain't going to go there. So y'all can go sit back down. And that's what they did. They left. And that's what Absalom did. It's right there in the Word. He stood at the gate, and everybody that would come through, here, let's read it. <clears throat> It said, he stood by the way of the gate, and it was so that when any man that had a controversy, a fight, come to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto them. He said, where are y'all from? And he said, thy servant's one of the tribes of Israel. And he said, and he said to him, thy matters are good and right. Y'all got, got a good case here. There is no man de deputed of the king to hear you. And verse 4 says, Absalom said moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Exactly what he done. He stood at the gate, intercepted people come in, told lies about the king, talked himself up, because he's used to being the star, the, the, the you know, captain of the football team. Probably wasn't real hard for him to talk himself up, you know. And he said, and when any man came nigh him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. You know, he was making good by him. And it said, on this matter did uh, Israel, <clears throat> did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So that was Absalom's post. That's what he did. He stood at that gate and waited for people to come so that he can intercept them. And you know what? It worked. Because it says in chapter 6, So Absalom stole the hearts of all the men of Israel. So, Brother Andrew and Brother Dane went back, told their tribe, Dude, we went to see King David, and you ain't going to believe this. His son... Absalom was at the gate 
telling us that David ain't going to do right by us. Now, that Absalom, you know, whew, any man that handsome has got to be telling the truth. And the word kind of spread, right? Not only did Absalom do this, and we didn't read this part, he played the long game. I mean, the long game. He seriously wanted his throne. Verse number 7 says, And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, Let me go and pay my vow, which I vow. This is the second part of his plan. He went to the king. So he was doing this not for a day, not for a week, for 40 years. That means, in theory, he could have intercepted my grandfather, my dad, me, maybe even my son. Absalom has affected many, many generations, undermining... Okay, here we go. Absalom had affected that many generations, undermining the power of the king. By just standing at the gate, he didn't have to, he didn't have to do anything special. All he did was just talk to him. That's all he did was just talk to him. Told him how sorry that guy was and how great he is. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's all Absalom done. But the thing about it is, he done it for a long, long time. Forty years. That's four generations. I, that's it's a long time. And it said that he executed the second part of his plans, and we didn't read about that. But anyway, Absalom went to the king and said, Hey, man, i got to go to Hebron and take care of some business down there. Absalom went to Hebron, <clears throat> came up with a third part of his plan that said whenever my men blow the trumpets, all you guys in Hebron basically say, All hell, King Absalom. And that's how he took over the throne. So before we go any further into that, I just want to say, that I cannot believe that King David was so disconnected from his kingdom that he didn't know about his son, not some stranger, not, not some person from another tribe, from another village, from, from you know, a, a Gentile or, or an enemy. I just find it hard to believe that he didn't know, had never heard in 40 years, in 40 years, King David, with all his people, with all his wives and concubines, all his servants, nobody ever came to him in 40 years and said, Hey, Dave, your boy is out there telling people that you don't know what you're doing. I just got to believe that somebody, a close confidant, a close friend, somebody came and said, David, man, you've got to get a handle on this thing. Absalom is undermining your authority. And if you don't watch out, he's going to slip in there and take it from you. Church, I do believe that there is an enemy at this door. There's an enemy at the gate of our soul. There's an enemy at the gate of this church, at the doors of this church. And when people try to slip into this place and find what they need, that enemy lies to them and says, you don't need all that. 
Come on, that that in there, I know it's it's just a bunch of hoopla. I know it seems emotional. I know people talk big about it, but that ain't what you need. You need something else. Come on, I, I, I just got to believe the enemy's doing that, and I believe that God sometimes sends us a warning that, hey, we better take that serious. Come on, we better take that serious that there's people trying to slip into our, our homes, into our families, into our personal lives, whether physically or, or through social media or what you read or what you put into your, in your mind or through a book or whatever else that's trying to undermine your relationship with God. Come on, it's a slow, it's a slow process. It just starts out slow, 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 and then it gets in there and just explodes, and before you know it, You've completely lost faith in God. You've completely lost your trust in God. And you find yourself lost, backslidden, somewhere that you're not even supposed to be. Come on, I'm telling you, it can happen, but thank God, He sends warning signs. He sends people into this pulpit. He sends people into our lives that says, hey, you don't need to let this thing take control. You've got to get a handle on what that is that's trying to undermine you. Oh, what a God that He would help us, that He would help us in that way. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's thank Him right now. Oh, come on, don't be like David. Don't be like David just because it's something close to you. Just because it's something close to you, don't ignore it. Come on, don't ignore those warning signs. Oh, why did David let it go on? I don't know. Maybe it was because it was was his son. Maybe because it was something so familiar to him. Oh, that's just the way he is. You know how guys like that are. They just talk a big game. Oh, man. But for whatever reason, David didn't do what we need to do and stand up straight and tall and in the power of the Holy Ghost and put your foot down and say, no, this is not going to steal my walk with God. This is not going to steal my place with God. Whatever that thing is that may be trying to slip into your life, church, you've got to stand flat-footed and say, no, it's not going to happen. Oh, hallelujah. But even a man like David, as strong and powerful, he let it happen. And after the, after the trumpets blew, and the people of Hebron proclaimed Absalom king, and you know how people are, they spread the word. Hebron proclaimed Absalom king, and then it started spreading from one tribe, one village, one location to the next. And without ever lifting a sword, without ever going to battle, without ever confronting King David, toe-to-toe, fist-to-fist, face-to-face, he ascended to David's throne. And without even kicking him out, without even telling him to leave, David, listen to a messenger that said the hearts of the men of Israel after Absalom. And David didn't say, well, let's go fight him. Let's just go kill him. We got this. Come on, I've been on the battlefield. I've slew giants. I've been in in the sheep field 
killed lions and bears with my bare hands? No. He said, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Because he's talked such a big game that even though what he says was lies, we came to believe it. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with a sword. And the king's servant said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to go. And then they went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was far off. David left his throne, left his city, left his sanctuary, left his place of comfort, his place of safety, his place of power, fled because of the words of his son, found himself in a a wilderness, in a desert. separated from everything that he knew. Separated from his source of victory. From his source of power. Separated from his God. For you see, not only was his throne in the city of Jerusalem, but the sanctuary of God where David worshipped and played his instrument so beautifully before the Lord and wrote the psalms that we sing even to this day. He found himself separated from his church. He found himself separated from the presence and the power of God. And he found himself in a dry desert land. And Sister Bethany, when you grabbed that mic and started talking, I don't know if anybody else felt it. Oh, but the power of God. it, It just swept over me in such a way. I mean, it was like, you ever just you ever noticed how certain things bring back memories? Certain smells bring back memories. Certain songs or or whatever else. You know you you just smell something and it just takes you back. Like I, I don't know why it is, but every drilling rig I've ever been on in the last twenty years, they all make your clothes smell the same. And I just believe that if I never went to another one from this point forward, then in 20 more years, I could smell it, and it's just going to take you right back. And that's just how it is. But when you grab that mic and exhort it, it just it brought a power of God over me that I hadn't felt in so long. It just felt sweet and new and fresh. And, you know, we're, we, we get so used to feeling the power of God, especially in a church like this, that, guys, I, I hate to say it like this, but it gets commonplace. 
it gets to be normal. It's like when you, oh gosh, I don't know. When you, when you go without drinking coffee for a few days or a month or whatever it is, I used to do that. Once a year for a month, I'd just not drink coffee. And Boy, talking about drilling rigs. Everybody on the rig knew when Brandon was on a coffee fast because I was grouchy. Then when you get that first cup of coffee after a month, oh, man, it is so, so good. And I'll tell you this, I ain't wasting it on no Folgers. If you're a Folgers drinker, I'm going to challenge you. Go home tonight and find where it says coffee on that can. It's way down at the bottom corner in little bitty letters. They ain't even proud to be coffee. They're just Folgers. But there's just something about coming into this house and feeling the power of God. And then then you get a reminder of how it used to be and how strong the presence and power of God can be in your life. Oh, but God help us. If we find ourselves in a place where David found himself, and if you've ever been there, you know what I'm what what I'm gonna what I'm gonna talk about, and you're gonna know what it feels like. When you're sitting at, at a church like Wallace Ridge, oh, and you can just tell the power of God's moving. And you can just see people getting blessings. And you can just see people feeling that power of God. Oh, and for whatever reason. For whatever reason, and everybody can't come right where I'm fisting to go, but I can. Because I've been there, and I know somebody here can. But for whatever reason, you sit there going through the motions. Feeling just as dead and empty on the inside. And you don't understand why. That's where David was. Maybe 10, 15 more minutes. Psalms chapter 63 speaks to that. David says, Oh God, Thou art my God. Hurley will I seek Thee. I'm going to read the whole Psalms. It's only 11 of them though. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My soul needs you, God. Just as dry as my mouth is up here right now, that's how dry my soul is. I can't feel you, God. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. There's no water here. Oh, to see thy power and thy glory. Have you ever been there just to see it as I have seen thee in the sanctuary? God, I've been there. But now I'm in this wilderness. I'm separated from you and I can't feel you. But then something happens in David's heart. He realizes something because thy loving kindness is better than life. Even though I'm in this wilderness, even though I'm in this desert place. Chapter 3 says, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. 
I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate thee on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. God, your wings are not around me right now, but I know they're right over me. And I'm in your shadow. In the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows hard after you. Thy right hand holds me up. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. I shall have victory. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the foxes. The foxes are going to come and eat them up. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. David knew that there was presence in the house of God. And he knew all he had to do was get back to his presence. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. There's power in this house. There's help in this house. Come on, there's everything you need in this house tonight. In the presence of God. Everything we need is right here in the presence of God. Oh, whether it's healing or deliverance or or victory or whatever it may be, in the presence of God is here. So then why why not still feel the exact same. Why is it that even though we've experienced the presence and the power of God and, and felt the miracle working power in His life, why is it that I can still, that we can still come into this house in that kind of a service and leave out Feeling just as, I may just be way off base. I'm going to tell y'all, I've been there. I've come into this church right here before in a Holy Ghost field service knowing that I needed something from God and walked right back out feeling dead and feeling empty and feeling lost. It's a real thing. I'm telling y'all, if you've never if you've never experienced it, and I'm not up here, you know, whining about it. I, I believe that it was a lesson for me, and I believe that I come out better on the other side from it. But I'm telling y'all, there's a distinct difference than being in a place where God is present. Versus being in the presence of God. God's always present here. You know how I know? Brother Bowie told us Sunday at 5 o'clock. Because he's what? He's omnipresent. God's everywhere. There's no place you can go that God's not around. But there's a distinct difference between being where God is present Versus being in the presence of God. And you can't just, you can't just stumble upon being in the presence of God. 
Come on, it, 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 it takes some focus and it takes some work. And, it, and not, not, not work, like you got to, but, but you got to do some things to, to really get everything you need out of the presence of God. Okay, let's, let's start closing right here, uh, musicians. John chapter 5 and verse 2. You ever been somewhere without really being there? Um, I'm what they call a, uh, and I coined this phrase myself, I'm an uh, extroverted introvert. Y'all know uh, extrovert is somebody that likes to be around people and talk and, and have fun and never wants to be there by themselves. And an introvert is just as happy at home in his recliner with that cup of coffee. And if he don't talk to nobody all day, it's not that I'm unfriendly. I'm just happy like that. I could go on a 10-hour drive, never turn on the radio, never listen to any music, never make a sound. I like being by myself sometimes, and I like it to be quiet. I like it to be quiet. But I'm an extroverted introvert. And what that is, and I don't even know if it's a thing, but like if there's a function or a social gathering or an event or whatever, I enjoy the fun of it. I enjoy visiting. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy, you know, being in the party, playing the games and, and, and doing the stuff and, and all this stuff. But there comes a time at that social gathering, at that event, that I just cut off. And I look at Jen, and she's the same way as me. I'm like, you ready to go? All right, let's go. And it ain't that, you know, we're mad or nothing. It's just, it's time to go. But you're there, but you're not really there. Like when you get a connecting flight. I've been to Taiwan on a connecting flight, but I've never been in Taiwan. I've been at the airport, but I, I haven't experienced... That didn't scare me. No, it really did. <laughs> I just played it off good. <clears throat> you're right in the middle of something, but you're just not getting that experience. John chapter 5 and verse 2 says, There was a at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And all these impotent folks lay around in great multitude, Blind, halt, withered, waiting for the movement of the water. Because an angel went down in a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whoever went first in the water, you know, they were made whole. Pool of Bethesda. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. Almost as long as Absalom stood at that gate. And when Jesus saw him, he knew that he'd been there a long time in that case. And he said, Wilt thou be made whole? And of course, the impotent man... He said, I don't have anybody. I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, and somebody else, they always get in front of me. And they jump in there and they get their healing. And I'm left... I'm left over here on the sidelines. And I tell y'all, I preached a message about that man before. 
And whenever I get to heaven and he's there, I won't have to apologize to him. Because I was cruel to him. I just couldn't understand how. After living with an infirmity so long, you could be that close to a miracle. 38 years. How in 38 years have you not, I don't know if his legs didn't work or his arms didn't work or what, but I mean, in 38 years, you could, if all you could move was your head, I don't know, maybe you could just reach out and grab a hunk of dirt and pull yourself, even if it's an inch a day after 38 years, you know what I mean, just get to the edge of that pool, right to the side of it, and just barely hanging on the edge. Just by the skin of your nails, just hanging on, just barely. And when that angel come down and trouble the waters, just let go and fall in. And all I was mean to him in that message I preached some years back. How could you be that close to a miracle and not get what you need? But you know what? I don't know that man's situation. I just assumed that he'd been laying there 38 years. That's not what the Bible said. It said he had the infirmity 38 years. I don't know. Maybe he just heard about this pool. And, and he just got there a month ago or whenever, I don't know. Maybe they have a velvet rope around it. And after somebody, you know, everybody's thronging for the pool and somebody jumps in and gets their miracles, maybe they make everybody go back to where they were before. I don't know the man's situation. I just assumed that he was just as content to blame somebody else because he says, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the pool. But you know what? Sometimes you just need somebody else. That's right. Let's all stand. So here we are. There's two types of people in this house that can relate to this message today. Number one, you've been where I've been and where I'm sure other people have been feeling empty, feeling lost, feeling hopeless inside. Because church, let me tell you, it's a dangerous place to be in. In a Holy Ghost filled service. Possessing the knowledge to know. That this is where all the answers to life's problems come from. And then you come here. And feel like that you know it's here. But you can't get to it. You want to talk about a hopeless feeling? It's terrible. 
So either you're that person that's feeling hopeless tonight, that's tired of laying by the pool watching other people get in, or you're that man or woman or whoever else, Well, maybe you're the opposite of him. Hopefully. That walked by and saw him. Oh, he's been like that 38 years. He'll be all right. And keep on going. He didn't have any help. Thankfully, Jesus came by. But oh, if somebody would have just reached down. Let me tell you all something. There's power in walking up to your brother or your sister. And wrapping your arms around them and saying something as simple as, you know what? I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. And I'm praying for you. Come on, there's power in that. Church, I want somebody to leave out of this house tonight. With these words in their heart. It's time to quit. It's time to quit feeling empty. It's time to quit feeling hopeless. It's time to quit walking out of these doors. Feeling like there's no place else that I can go to get what I need. Whatever category you fall into tonight. If you're feeling lost, if you're feeling hopeless, there's hope. If nobody else will tell you, I'm telling you, there's hope. There's hope for your situation. I just wonder if, if everybody here, just everybody would come up to the front tonight.